You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Amen. It is a wonderful word of the Lord, time of worship this morning. Thank you, God. It is good to see you. You doing well? Yeah? Any men? You? See how ambiguous that was? Like, you? Hey, yeah, we, we are uh, coming to the end here of this series, and just like any of Paul's letters, they all came to an end at some point, and so I want to close on what I feel would be, you know, the final word to life point, which is this idea of unity. How do we have unity uh, with each other in agreement, you know, in 1 Corinthians, to agree with one another, and yet also still have disagreement? pretty good question. It's kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, how can we disagree and be in unity? Um, so there's this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians, I'm going to be jumping in through a lot of verses, so if you want to write them down or put them in the notes section of your phone, um, I will give some time, like right now, to be looking them up. I am reading out of the NIV, um, but if you don't have all the time, uh, write them down and you can go back and see later. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, as he writes this letter to the church of Corinth, which is full of strife and disunity and infighting and false teachers and all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, he says, I appeal, to, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, that's not so hard, right? What is there, a hundred something of us in here right now? I think we're probably all currently united in mind and thought, wouldn't you say? I can't imagine there'd be anything like, you know, a baseball team or a political party that which we aren't all completely 100% united is the best. What does it mean to be united in thought, to be completely perfect and united in thought? And you know, I found it interesting because Peter, gotta love Peter, in 2 Peter, in his second letter, verse, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, if you've ever read Paul's letters and thought, man, this is confusing, or that is a hard thing to understand, that is a hard truth, is that really what he means there? What is he talking about here? You're not alone. In fact, Peter says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people will distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Can I appreciate how much Peter acknowledges that Paul's writing is oftentimes hard to understand? And this was to the culture and the people and the language who spoke it. Not 2,000 years later, through multiple translations, multiple culture changes, complete shift in culture change from where we are now to where they were. I mean a massive shift. That it's going to be hard to understand sometimes. So how? How are we going to come to this place of perfectly united in mind and being perfectly united in mind and thought that there would be no division among you 
Is that possible? What do you think? My point, is it possible? Okay, we've got one yes over here. Can I get two? Looking for two, looking for two yeses. Got two, I got another two yes over there. Takes me back to my days of auctioneering. Is it possible? Because if it's not possible, right, then why would we listen to anything else Paul says? If Paul starts his letter with a call for unity that is an impossible call, then how can I look at anything else Paul says and not just say, oh, Paul, stop being ridiculous. Oh, Paul, you and your unity, you and your head coverings, you and your order of service, you and your thoughts on sex. Oh, Paul. Right? We do, don't we? We do that with all those other things, so why not with this one? I want you to see the unity that he is talking about this morning, what I believe the Lord has laid heavily on my heart this week. If you go to Psalm 133, Psalm 133, we see, we see a song of King David. King David's songs or psalms, however you want to look at it. Uh, are such a mixed bag. They can be absolute rejoicing to the Lord. They can be yelling at God. They can be crying in front of God. They can be um, praising Him for His provision. They could be Him asking God to murder all of His enemies. This, though, is David praying for something that he hoped to see um, and is foreshadowing the Messiah. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. David is speaking about something he has not seen. Did David have peace amongst the tribes while he was king? Did he have to have any wars? Did he have peace amongst his own children? No, they raped and killed each other. David longed for the unity that he knew was in God. And God gave him a taste of it, and God gave him a picture of it, and so he explains it in this psalm of this unbelievably beautiful thing that God's people could actually be in unity with one another. And so he uses imagery of his time to describe how beautiful God's people could look in unity. Do you know that just in about every single one of Paul's letters to the church, there is a call to unity? So I want to look at those here. Galatians 3.28. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is Paul getting rid of the genders here? Did he just dissolve gender identity? Did he fix that issue right here? There are no genders. Hopefully, I would have expected a more resounding, no, that's not what he did. <laughs> did Paul get rid of Jewish heritage and uh, Gentile heritage? No, there we go. We're getting a little better. What about slave or free? Nope. Good job. What is he doing? 
Paul is saying the things that have divided us, the things that separate us and keep us from having unity with one another, keep us from praising God with one another, in Christ those things are no more. You're still male and female, you're still Jew and Gentile, there's still always going to be worker and boss or slave and free. That's always going to be. But in Christ, those titles are not your identity anymore. Citizens of God is your identity. Citizens of the kingdom of God. Children of God is your identity. In fact, it even goes something more tight-knit than children even. You are the bricks in the wall, right? Don't start singing the song. I heard it as soon as I said it. You are the stones in the wall. There we go. And Christ is the chief cornerstone upon which the whole thing is built. How close are stones in a stone wall? Super close. Super close. In fact, when I was a stonemason back east, you would take every different type of stone. It took every weird shape, different type of stone to be able to make up a wall. And what was amazing is a good stonemason will see how a stone fits into the spot. And so it's not about uniformity. It really isn't about uniformity. It's about coming together in unity. Now, we struggle in unity, being in unity with each other because we currently live in an individualistic society that celebrates the individual and feels as though if you disagree with my position on something, politically, economically, sexually, socially, whatever, that we cannot be in unity anymore because you hate me or you hate my position or clearly we just cannot be friends because we disagree. I want you to see here today what unity is and what agreement is in unity and what it's not. So that's where I'm going. Ephesians 4.3, Church of Ephesus. This letter is to the Church of Ephesus. Even Timothy, First and Second Timothy, he's writing to the pastor that he sent down there, and it, that whole thing is still about what is going on in Ephesus. Ephesus has problems. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What does that mean? What is the bond of peace? Does anybody know? I'll give you $100. 2000 Oh, there we go. Someone answered. Guy in the back has no idea, but he raised his hand because he's my son. He's like, I'll take $2,000, Dad. What is the bond of peace? And in this, we will have unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What's he talking about? What is given at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit. What is the gift that is given to all mankind by Jesus Christ? What is it? Come on. Eternal life? Sins forgiven? Peace? Yeah. This is interactive. It's more fun this way. Come on. Grace? What Christ came and what Christ brought is what every single member that we read about throughout Jewish history was looking forward to or is part of the story of. It is God's redemptive plan. And we are all under that, and there's nobody who earned it more than another, and there's nobody who deserves it less than another. 
And that bond of peace, that understanding that I can come to the Father, I can come before the Holy of Holies and approach the throne, me, just like you can because we're under the bond of the peace that was made by Christ's death on the cross, by him taking the keys in hell, overcoming death and rising again on the third day. That bond, that bond should unite us in spirit. And that bond should be enough to bring unity, Paul says. So why don't we have it still? Let's keep reading. First, First Corinthians, now back to the church in Corinth, 12.12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. It'd be pretty hard, right, to have your body where members of your body, parts of your body, were not in unity with the other parts. In fact, we see this with brain injuries, with certain birth defects, with mental illness, don't we? With Tourette's syndrome. The mouth and the words that are spoken are not in unity with what that person wants to do in that moment. It causes confusion, it causes embarrassment, it's disruption. We see people who might have a shake or a stroke or something, and the part of their body that they would like to control, they can't control it. Paul says we are all members of one body, and when the body is operating in unity, it operates effectively. When we are in disarray, when different parts are demanding greater, uh, greater representation, greater acknowledgement, greater glory, then the other parts, the parts of the body begin to become disunified, right? Like the big toe thinks it's greater than the pinky toe. And then like the hair that's coming out of the mole that's on the pinky toe thinks it's greater than the whole foot. It's part of the body. It's like, why not? I'm sitting here on a mountain all by myself, just hanging out. We begin to think of ourselves too highly. And so Paul has a solution to this in Colossians 3.14 the church in Colossae, his letter to that church. Above all these, above everything I've told you, faith, hope, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Can I still disagree with you and we can love each other and be in community and unity together? Is that possible? Christ said it was. It's what he prayed for. I just read the prayer this morning, John 17. My prayer is not for them alone, just the disciples. I pray for those who would believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that we may believe that you have sent me, that the world may believe you have sent me. So by us being in unity with one another, a bunch of people from every background, all different colors, all different economic statuses, different genders, we are all here together, right? And we're in unity. And Jesus said, when the world sees that this many people can come together from that many different backgrounds, they're going to recognize that I am the I am. They're going to see that there's something to what it is the church is doing, what my body is doing. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. He says, they aren't going to do it apart from my glory. 
You aren't going to work really hard and all of a sudden we'll become a group of people that no other group of people has been able to unify. We do it because the glory of God has been given to us. In them, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Ephesians 4.13. Told you, lots of scripture. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we get to this point, Paul is saying, until you get there, there's going to be problems. We must press on. You cannot give up until we attain to the maturity to the mature manhood, to the knowledge, to the unity in the what? Faith. So he's asked for unity in the mind, unity in the spirit, unity in the body, unity in the faith. He has said that we will accomplish this by loving one another. He is, God, Christ said that we will accomplish this because his glory was given to us. And then we will also accomplish this because the bond of peace that connects us is greater than our differences. Are, are we following along so far? Because I'm going to get to a list here that is going to be unbelievably fascinating. And my goal is to bring, bring complete disunity between everybody in here by the time we're done. And this list will do it. So I hope you are ready. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Reinforcing what Christ said about the body. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is to the church in Philippi. Have the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Complete my joy. Now we're talking about unity of mind. Having the same love, unity and love. Being in full accord with one another. Does full accord mean full agreement on every single issue, on every single thing? I'll show you here in a minute. It can't possibly mean that. Unity is not uniformity. And lastly here, Colossians 3.13, that you would bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, you would forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Paul answers another question. How are we going to have unity? How are we going to have unity when we have disagreements, when we hurt each other with our words or our actions, our theology? He says, you forgive each other because you remember that the bond of peace that connects you is only there because the Lord has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. And so he says, you must forgive. You must forgive. So this week, the Lord has laid on my heart so heavy and would not leave it alone, and I have spent more time than I have in a very long time confused and researching and shaken, and God, what do you want? What am I supposed to say? As I knew I was speaking on unity and I would be speaking on what it is to be a unified church, right? Begin to think, what are the things we don't agree on? What do I do? Do I come out here and do I speak on LifePoint's position on all these things? 
I mean, maybe that's what I do, right? Maybe I say, here are biblical stances that we all agree on here at Life, or the elders and the pastors at Life Point agree on, and I just want you to know this is our stance on it. You might have a different one, but this is our stance. Is that what I do? And the Lord said, no. And then it was like, well, Lord, we have to agree on something. There's got to be a common bond. There's got to be a common peace. So what is that? So let's start with what we don't agree on. Baptisms. Infant baptisms or baby dedications. Right? I would say in this room right now, there are people who hold strong, strong opinions that either one of those is wrong or one of those is right. Even adult baptisms, sprinkled or fully submersed. And then, here's what's even crazier, is not only do you hold an opinion, but if you've studied it and you've researched your opinion, you can actually go back your opinion up with Scripture. So a person who says infant baptism is sin or not good or not valid can back it up with Scripture. And then the person who says it is can go and back it up with Scripture. And you're like, no way. Oh, yes, they can. Well, they have to be misusing it. Really? So who's misusing it? It's going to get a lot harder. So let's not get, let's stop on infant baptisms. Age of the earth, the account of creation, is it literal or figurative? Is it seven days literal? How old is the earth? Is it tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? Is it 6,000? Are these things that we should disband? Maybe the seven-day creationists, you sit over here, and then the... Uh, you know, God worked and spoke, but he allowed thousands of our years to go by. You sit way over here. So that way there's these middle people, and they don't know what they believe yet, but we've got you separate so as not to fight. We split up on that. Both sides will use Scripture and use accounts of Scripture and use accounts of Genesis, and then accounts of what we know about God throughout Scripture to justify their backing. Nothing I'm saying here does one side not scriptural and another side is. What I want you to understand here is that you can use Scripture, you can even weaponize Scripture. And this is what Paul, Peter is speaking to when he says, listen, I know what Paul says is hard, but I'm telling you, stay the course. Because there are those who are ignorant and there are those who are using it to their own advantage. So stay in it. What about end times theology? We just talked about the beginning of the world. What about the end of the world? Are you post-mill, pre-mill, dispensational? Do you believe historically it's already happened throughout history and it's not this future event? All four of those are really real. And boy, do people really hold to those. Like, you, yeah, like there are some of you and you're like, it is this, 100%. We will be raptured. No, we won't. What about the manner and the consistency in which we take communion? Do you, do you think you all believe the same thing on communion? We take it here every Sunday. And that came because I actually talked with a friend who's Catholic, and the Lord revealed in my heart that he had more love for communion than I ever did growing up in the Christian church. And so I spent weeks and prayed about it and talked with the elder board, and they prayed over it. And when we met again, we said, rather than do it the last Sunday of the month, which is what this church was doing when I got here, we moved it to every Sunday. Now, some of you in here are like, that's what I love about you. 
I love that you do communion every week. It's part of church. In fact, there are those who say it's not church without taking communion. You haven't actually had church unless you take the sacrament. And there are those of you who say, yes, that's biblical. And then there will be someone who will stand up and say, no, it's actually not biblical the way you do it. How you just allow anyone to take it. How in the world are we going to have perfect unity when we haven't even gotten through five of the 21 that I have here without any sort of even being close to being unified? What about the style of worship? This one's not a real big deal for us. We don't really care. But <laughs> style of worship. What music is allowed? How many songs? How long should they be? How many times should you repeat a verse? Are drums even allowed? Is Alec a good person? These are all questions that we have. And we have to solve biblically. Should we even be singing songs made up in our modern day? Shouldn't we be singing the Psalms without musical instruments, instruments at all? Which is what's called the Psalter. Which is what many Christians believe is the only true way to worship the Lord is through the ordained writings in the Psalms. Both sides can back up why they worship the Lord, they wor the way they worship the Lord using Scripture. Both sides have a heart to honor God. Both sides have a heart to serve the Lord and to love God. You hearing me on this? Large church versus home church versus mega church versus satellite campus. Which one's real? Go. You're currently attending a mega church as per News Channel 12 2020. <laughs> I know it doesn't feel like it, but we are. We're mega in heart. Tithing 10% versus no tithe versus tithing a portion versus your whole life versus tithing your time. Heather gave a great word on that this morning. What about dress codes when we gather to worship? Did you grow up in a church where you had to be dressed in your Sunday best? I did. That's how you come to the Lord. Why would you bring anything to the Lord less than your best? This keeps getting caught, right? And then there's the, the tribe that says, come to Jesus just as you are. Come to Jesus just as you are. Both of them will will found their idea in Scripture. What about ordination requirements? Who's allowed to be ordained and who's not? What's it mean to be ordained? What college is worthy of ordaining somebody and what colleges aren't? What's the process of ordination? Who gets to say the person has passed? Heavy, heavy theology on that one. In fact, you want to get to one that's really confusing and hits close to home. Who's allowed to be a pastor? Men, women, children, donkeys? Donkey? Who's allowed to be a pastor? I, I, I can tell you I have more than 120 hours. 45 to 50 of those in the last week on this question. Who's allowed, Lord? I see what 1 Timothy 2 says. I see what 1 Corinthians 13 says. I'm telling you, that question can be backed up both sides with heavy scripture, heavy Greek knowledge, Greek interpretation, Greek understanding, heavy understanding of Old Testament priestlyhood, the understanding of man and woman in Genesis, all of it together. And you can make a solid case for both positions, that women should not be in leadership or teach, and that women should. 
So do we divide over that? Can we have unity? It's a big one. How to preach, exegetically or topically? Should children be in service or in children's church? Should Christians live lavish American lives or shouldn't we be taking more of a vow of poverty and giving our money away? Are the gifts valid for today or were they just for a period of time? That's a big one. Are only certain gifts valid for today? The rest were just for the foundation of the church. That's another one. What about observing the Sabbath? How well do you do in that? God himself observed the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath is a gift for man, not man for the Sabbath. What and when are the use of tongues ever relevant? What are prophecies in the New Testament versus prophecies in the Old Testament? Are they same? Are the requirements of the prophet the same? And lastly, maybe the easiest one of all, how the Holy Spirit works. I think we can all come into complete unity of mind, body, soul, spirit on that one. It'll be easy as, easy, easy. And so the question is this, friends. If those aren't the things that we're ever going to come into unity on, if there's always going to be differences, if there's always going to be perspectives, if I can always go and find a scriptural basis for what I believe in those, then what is it in this that Paul over and over again, and Jesus says, find unity. And so what I want to put before you is something that I can't believe it's been six years since I taught it, verse, line by line. It's not Scripture, but what it does is it points to Scripture in every single line. And every Scripture that it points to is undebated and unrefuted across all of the denominations that I just spoke of. All of the differences and all of the churches and all of the times we split and we leave friends and family over those differences, these in the Apostles' Creed are foundational. So I want to read it for you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, that He is creator of heaven and earth. Do we believe that here? If you're, if you're a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Do we believe that here? He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and He was buried. And then He descended into hell. Do we believe that here? The third day He rose again from the dead. Do we believe that here? Everybody should be allowed to speak in tongues. Do we believe that here? Ah. See, just making sure you're paying attention. Okay. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do you believe that here? From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe that? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic not meaning Roman Catholic, Catholic meaning communal church across the world. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and, the ever, and life everlasting. Do you believe that? Amen. You see, I was talking with a wonderful friend this week, and as we were debating various sections of those 21 or so that I was mentioning, and we were debating differences on them, he said, you know, the Bible is written in such a way that it could be dropped in the middle of the Amazon, and if it's in the person's language, they should be able to read it and understand it. And I said, yeah, it is. And the core parts that matter 
can absolutely be read and understood without any sort of degree, without any sort of extra knowledge. You could read through this thing and find out from the Old Testament to the New that this person, this man, Jesus Christ, claimed to be God claimed to be the Messiah that is promised through all the Old Testament that He died on a cross and that He did it for you and that all you need to receive His blessing is to receive Him. That message can be as clear as day without any explanation. Isn't that wonderful? And what did Paul preach when he came to new places? Christ and Him crucified. Friends, we are never going to be in complete unity on those other 21 issues. Never. We aren't even in unity on just one of them with the small amount of people in this room. But we can be in unity in the words that are spoken in the creed. We can be in unity in the vital essentials of that who Christ said He was. We can find unity of mind, unity of heart. We can learn to forgive each other when wronged. We can learn to think of ourselves less. And in that, have a community that the world will look at and say, wow, what is going on there? As the head of this church, it will be my, my job one day, well, not the head, but part of the eldership of this church, to give an account and an answer for everything that I did or taught or allowed. I don't take that lightly. I recognize the weight that is on me for that. And so, if you're here, if you have problems, if you have disagreements, if you have questions about anything that wasn't part of the creed, come and talk to me or my elders or the pastors here. Come and share with us. But don't talk about it in your small group. Don't talk about it online. Don't talk about it with your friends because then you're guilty of gossip and malicious division. Come and talk with us. And then if you wish to go out, and your, your answer is not satisfied, you can bring another. Matthew 18. I love this church. I love the ministry that's happening here. I love the harvest that I see coming in. And what I want us to be above all as we move forward is in unity with one another, but a proper understanding of what unity is. Let's pray. Father, go with us here as we go forward into this week, as we prepare our hearts to take communion to partake in that, that last supper, Lord, to come to the table with you. For those here who do not know you or have relationship with you, Lord, I lift them up and pray that you will move them out of their seat and to the front here, that they would come and they would receive you as their Lord and Savior. We thank you, Jesus, that you provide and uphold for us the glory we need to be in unity together. It's in your name we pray, amen. At LifePoint here, the only stipulation we have that you partake with communion with us is that you have a relationship with the Lord. That before you partake of the bread and the wine that you've examined your heart. You've examined yourself. Otherwise, just take some time and maybe abstain from it. Spend some time in prayer. When Christ took bread and broke it, he took bread at the Passover meal. Bread not only symbolized life, but Jesus, who said, I am the bread of life, now takes bread, breaks it with them, and says, this is my body. This is my body. It's given freely to you. 
and then he encourages them to eat. As we bless this now in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Let's eat together. Jesus then took of the cup. He held the, what was a cup of wine up and he told his disciples, this is my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sin and a mark of a new covenant between God and man. Jesus would be the final high priest in the priestly order, although not in the order of the Levites, but in the order of Melchizedek. He would accomplish and fulfill the role of the priest, and through his blood, all who would come to receive will be saved. So we thank you. I throw my life, my soul at the mercy, Lord. That is the cross, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.